This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Well, open your Bibles this morning to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. I want to say Judges. We've been in Judges for the past couple of months, but we're going to be in Isaiah for the next three weeks. And what we're going to be doing today and for the next couple of Sundays is looking at prophecies about Jesus in the book of Isaiah. So turn to Isaiah 7 today which is a prophecy about Jesus, but in the midst of giving us this, we learn something very crucial about learning to trust in God. Isaiah 7, and we're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 17, if you'll follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. The Bible says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Razan, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, and the heart of his people, shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shire Jasub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper field on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. At the fierce anger of Razan and Syria, and the son of Ramalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up to Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of, Dam- of Damascus is Razan. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this prophecy about Jesus this morning, we pray that you would use it by the power of your Spirit to open our eyes to see your glory, to see how big you are and how trustworthy you are, that we might place our trust in you.
with every area of our life. Lord, for those who have brought burdens into this service, struggles, challenges, maybe even places of pain in their lives, Lord, I pray that you would grant a fresh vision of who you are today, who the Savior is, and that you are worthy of our trust. Teach us to trust in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. John Piper tells about a time when he was pastor of his church in Minneapolis, and a young man approached him at the end of the service, and he knew what this family had been going through. Because several months before, they had learned that one of their children had been abused over a long period of time by a relative that they trusted in. And it was absolutely devastating to this young family. And so this young man approached John Piper after the service that day and he said, Pastor, the last few months have been the hardest time in our lives. But do you know what has gotten us through? He said the week that we discovered what was going on, we came to church that Sunday and our hearts were broken. And we were shattered. And that morning you preached from the sixth chapter of Isaiah and you showed us the the majesty and the grandeur of God's holiness. And that has been the rock That we have been standing on. Well the text. That that young couple heard that day. Was this one. And the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord. Sitting upon a throne. High and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And the one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Because what that devastated young couple needed to hear that day was that they they needed to learn about a God who was bigger. Bigger than anything that they were facing. And that's... What King Ahaz needs to perceive at the beginning of Isaiah 7. He needs to see the majesty and the glory of God. He needs to see how huge and powerful God is so that he will trust in God rather than men. Now as we're going to see, Ahaz is going to fail miserably to do that. But in the midst of his failure, God is going to give a sign that will not fail, that will never fail. So, what do we see in this text? First of all, pressuring voices, shaken hearts. Now, as we read the text a while ago, you saw a lot of history happening and that type of thing. Let me set the context, okay, so you understand what's going on here. Ahaz is the king of Judah. And two kings are aligned against him, Syria and Ephraim. And they are 
threatening to invade. They are threatening to displace Ahaz as king and put their own puppet king on the throne. And so Ahaz is terrified. He is filled with fear. And his people are filled with fear as well. You see that in verse 2. It says, when the house of David, that's, that's Ahaz. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. They are terrified. They are freaking out. Their hearts are shaken. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said this, faith is the refusal to panic. How do you deal with bad news? How do you deal with it when you get information that is potentially disturbing? <laughs> How do you deal with it when that information comes, when you receive that, that bad news or that, that news that, could, that would, would, would tend to make you worry or, or possibly even panic? How do you deal with that? Do you freak out? Is your first instinct to scurry about and try to find human solutions to the problem to deal with it? Or is your first instinct to trust in God? David says in Psalm 16:8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. David says, I'm not going to be shaken. Not by bad news. Not by anything. I'm not going to be shaken. Why? Because I perceive who God is. Because I'm keeping this vision of who God is ever before me. He is at my right hand. And I'm focused on him. I'm focused on his character. And because he is my focus, I'm not going to be shaken. Listen, when you understand who this God is, when you understand that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, that he is all-powerful and that he is sovereign, that he's in control of everything and in control of the events of your life and that he loves you and that he knows what he's doing. You're not going to be shaken. If that's your vision, if that's your focus, if you understand who God is and you're keeping that vision of God ever before you, that's the challenge, isn't it? Because we tend to forget. But when we're keeping God ever before us at our right hand, when he is our focus and we know who he is and we know who we are in him, there is no reason to be shaken. Now, Ahaz doesn't understand what we just talked about. He, he, is, he is not keeping a vision of God before him. He is not trusting in God. And so God graciously at this point comes to Ahaz with a word of assurance. So the second thing we see here is a reassuring voice, but also a sober warning. Look at verse 3. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet 
Ahaz at the end of the conduit. Now, what is significant about that? The conduit was where they would hold the water supply. So King Ahaz is out inspecting the conduit. Why? Because he's expecting to be attacked. He's expecting these two kings to attack him. And so he's out inspecting the conduit because the conduit is where they keep the supply of water which they would need in case of a siege. What this tells us is that Ahab is just absolutely, Ahaz is freaking out. Ahaz is not expecting a savior. He is not expecting God's intervention. He's not expecting a savior. He's expecting a siege. Ahaz is concerned with stockpiling. Stockpiling food, stockpiling water. That's why he's at the conduit. He is not thinking about the stockpile of God's grace and God's protection and God's power. He's not trusting. And so God sends Isaiah to him. He says, I want you to go out and I want you to meet the king at the conduit. That's where you'll find him. And I want you to give him a message. From me. It's a message of reassurance. Verse 4 And say to him, Be careful, be quiet. Do not fear. God tells Isaiah, You go tell the king, Focus on me. Quiet your heart. Just quiet your heart. And put your eyes on me. Listen, he needs to hear the message of Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. When bad news comes, when news comes that would tend to shake us, if we aren't trusting in God, what do we need to do? First of all, be still and know that he is God. He's still on the throne. Just quiet your heart. Calm down. Quiet your heart. Be still and know that he is God. God says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is a message that God gives to Ahaz. And he goes on and says in verse 4, He says, do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Razan and Syria and the son of Ramalia. Now God here is, he's actually, he's making fun of these two kings that are plotting against Ahaz. See, these two guys, they're planning to attack Judah, you know, and they're devising all these plans and these plots, and and Ahaz is terrified of them. God is laughing at them. God says, you're you're afraid of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands? You know, it'd almost be like us saying, God saying, you know, you're afraid of these two burned out cigarette butts, you know? Is this really what is keeping you up at night and terrifying you? So, they've announced their plans to attack you. So, they're angry with you. And they're threatening to attack you and replace you with a puppet king. They've announced their plans. Well, God says, I'm going to announce my plan. The only one that matters. 
And this is God's plan. Verse 5. Because Syria, with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia, has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. God says, it ain't going to happen. This thing you're worried about, it's not going to happen. In fact, not only is it not going to happen, but I have set a drop-dead date for both of these kings and their kingdoms. God says in verse 8, The head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Razan. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. In other words, you're worried about nothing because I'm going to bring these two kings and their kingdoms to nothing. See, Ahaz is freaking out about these two guys. God is laughing at their plans. This is, this is what Psalm 2 Tells us, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. So, this is the situation. You've got this king who's terrified of these two other kings, you know, and God just says those kings and their plans are, are laughable. Their plans are not going to come to fruition. They are angry with you. They are planning to attack you. But it's not going to happen. Because God is going to bring their plans to nothing. And he's going to bring them to nothing. And so therefore Ahaz is worried about nothing. How much time do we spend worrying about nothing? How much, how much of our energy, how much of our time is, is robbed? Because we spend our time worried about stuff in, that, that in the future that's usually not even going to happen. And we tear ourselves apart with anxiety, just worried about, you know, projecting all these terrible scenarios that could be out there for us instead of trusting in God. God says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. And you know what? When you get to tomorrow, I'm going to be in tomorrow as well. <laughs> Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our what? Our daily bread. God says, I'm going to be there for you today. I'm going to give you what you need today. And guess what? When tomorrow gets here, Lamentation says, his mercies are new every morning. God says, when you get to tomorrow, I'm going to give you the grace that you need tomorrow. You trust in me now. Now. Quiet your heart. Focus on who I am. Who you are in me, in Christ in Christ, you are my beloved son or daughter. Do, do you think that I'm just, I've let go of you? <laughs> I mean, do you think I'm not on the throne anymore? Trust 
Now, that's the word of reassurance that God gives to Ahaz. But God couples that word of reassurance with a sober warning that we see in verse 9. God says to him, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. In other words, here's the deal, Ahaz. God says, you can either trust in me and experience my protection and my blessing and be confirmed or you can refuse to trust in me and in that case you're not going to stand at all you're going down now that's that's the stark choice that Ahaz faces he can trust in God and be stand firm in faith and be confirmed as king or he can reject God and refuse to trust in God, and he's not going to stand at all. That's a sober warning. What's he going to do with it? Third, we see here the rejected sign. The rejected sign. Verses 10 and 11. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. In other words... God knows that Ahaz's faith is weak, and so God graciously comes to him at this point, and he says, look, if you, need a, if you need me to give you a sign to bolster your faith, I'll do it. In fact, God just gives him a blank check here. He says, here's a blank check, sign it. You can ask me for a sign, I'll, I'll give you one. And what does faithless Ahaz say in reply verse 12 but ahaz said i will not ask and i will not put the lord to the test now this is nothing but a faithless response couched in the language of faith it is nothing but a pathetic response couched in the language of piety you know ahaz is trying to sound so pious here oh i won't put the lord to the test i won't ask for a sign you know why he's not interested in a sign He's not really interested in a sign because he has already made his decision. And he has already decided not to trust in God. In fact, do you know what he's done? Because he doesn't trust in God, he has already cut a deal with the Assyrians. They were the worst ones of all and the most powerful ones. Because he's afraid of Syria and Ephraim and being attacked by them, Ahaz has cut a deal with the king of Assyria. That's the worst thing he could have done. Listen, do you know when we make our worst decisions in life? When we're not trusting in God. I mean, we do some stupid things. Ahaz is trusting in the very one who is going to end up taking him and his kingdom apart. Old Testament scholar John Oswald says this, whatever we trust in place of God will eventually turn on us and destroy us. Do you trust anything more than God today? Have you placed anything on the throne of your heart today other than God? That idol is going to be your undoing. 
Ahaz, because he doesn't trust God, he cuts this secret deal with the Assyrians for protection. They're not going to protect him. They're going to destroy him. And it all comes because he doesn't trust God and he fears man. Proverbs 29:25. The fear of man lays a snare. It's a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So, Ahaz rejects God and rejects the sign that God offers to give him. And so what does God say? God says, okay, because you've rejected me and you've rejected my offer of a sign, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a sign anyway. And here it is. The regal sign. The regal sign. The sign of the king. The true king. Verse 13. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Now notice the change here in language. Okay, in verse 11, Isaiah said to him, Ask the Lord your God for a sign. But he doesn't say that now. He doesn't say to Ahaz, the Lord your God, because it's become apparent that God is not really Ahaz's God. He doesn't believe in God. He's Isaiah's God. He's not Ahaz's God. And so here, Isaiah changes it. He says, that you weary my God also. (laughs) He's my God. He's not yours. That's become obvious. Ahaz has rejected God, and he's rejected the sign. So now, God says, I'm going to give you my own sign. You didn't ask for it, but it's coming. And here it is. Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, this prophecy, like many prophecies in the Old Testament, has an ultimate fulfillment. And it has an immediate fulfillment, a more near-term fulfillment. The ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14, we know what it is, right? Because Matthew tells us what it is, right? Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Isaiah, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, that's the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. But there's a more immediate near-term fulfillment here as well. And if we understand that, 
then we'll understand the ultimate fulfillment in an even deeper way. So, the more near-term fulfillment of the prophecy is this. Isaiah, at this point, is engaged to a young woman who, at that point in time, was a virgin. But they were going to get married, and she was going to bear a son. And we learn some details about him in verses 15 through 17. Verse 15. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Now, stop there. Curds and honey was like a simple diet that someone would eat when they're trying to live off the land. You see, what Isaiah is saying here is that by the time my son reaches like 12 or 13, when he knows that's, that was like the age when they you know, knew how to choose the good and reject the evil, by the time he reaches that age, you know what? He's going he's to be eating curds and honey because Judah is going to be devastated. And not only Judah, but who else? Verse 16. Before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. These two kings that you have been so terrified of, you know what? They're going down too going to be gone and my instrument of discipline for you and for Ephraim and for Syria is going to be the, the Assyrians the Assyrian army verse 17 the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah the king of Assyria, the very one that you cut your little secret deal with instead of trusting in God. He's the very one that's coming to destroy. See, this, is, this is really bad news, right? Is it, is it all bad news? Well, in the near term it was, yeah. But see, what about that sign of Emmanuel? How does all of this stuff point eventually to Jesus? Okay, here it is. Ahaz is part of the Davidic line of kings, right? We've seen this twice in this text that we read. Twice, Ahaz is addressed as who? The house of David, right? Hero house of David. That, that, was like the, that was like the way that when we talk about the president, we talk about the White House. Okay, when they talked about the, the king, they would talk about the house of David because Ahaz is one of the Davidic kings. He's of the lineage of David. And here he is. It's about to come apart for him. How does that square with the Davidic covenant? You remember, God had promised in 2 Samuel that he was going to establish the throne of David forever, right? 2 Samuel 7, God says to him, to David, and your house and your kingdom there shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. 
You say, well, but Ahaz, he's, he's coming to an end. <laughs> yes, he is. But that doesn't mean that God's promise has come to an end. Ahaz has failed. That doesn't mean that God's promise has failed. Or that the Davidic covenant, the promise to David, has failed. Why? Why? Gabriel says what to Mary? Luke 1. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The sign of Emmanuel is that the true king... Is coming. The one who is of the lineage of David, who is going to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, is coming. And he will reign as a true king forever. Let's pray. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.